As I said uh, this morning, we're going to be focusing our attention on God our Father. And I thought that the the first chapter of Peter's first epistle to the church would be a a fitting passage to look at, um, to to unfold alongside of the the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, which I'll read in just a moment as well. Help us understand uh, who our God is in terms of His fatherly care and how it is that we, we relate to Him and know Him as our Heavenly Father. And so I'd be focusing on, on aspects of Peter's first chapter here, though not every part of it. First Peter chapter 1, this is God's holy word. Let's listen attentively to it as it's read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your heart fully, your hope fully on the grace that would be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on Him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. 
For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And then from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 9, you'll find that in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal, from which we've been singing this morning, on page 876, 876, this is one of the most beautiful Lord's Days in the Heidelberg Catechism. That's saying something because they're all quite beautiful in their own right. Question 26, Lord's Day 9, the question, what do you believe when you say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? And the answer comes to us, I believe that the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who out of nothing created heaven and earth and everything in them, who still upholds and rules them by His eternal counsel and providence, is my God and Father for the sake of Christ His Son. I trust God so much that I do not doubt He will provide whatever I need for body and soul and will turn to my good whatever adversity He sends upon me in this veil of tears. He is able to do this because He's Almighty God. He desires to do this because He is a faithful Father. Keep your finger there in the Trinity Psalter hymnal. We're going to look at that answer of the Heidelberg Catechism a little bit more this morning. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Those are familiar words to us. Uh, We confess that uh, every Sunday uh, when we join our voices in reciting the Apostles' Creed. Uh, Those are dear words that most of us have committed to memory over the years as we've recited that creed uh, for the better part of our lives. But Do we know what we are confessing when we call God Father? That's an important question for us to answer uh, because it's really article number one concerning what we must believe in order to be saved. In other words, this this article of faith, confessing God as our Father and, and Creator, it belongs to, it's connected to the heart of the gospel. When we first look at that article of our faith, we might assume it simply has to do with God as the one who made us, as our Creator. But we we quickly see that it's far more than that. As I read Lord's Day 9, I hope you noticed what it said there. Our confession is this, I I believe the eternal Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is for the sake of Christ His Son, my God and my Father. Our confession says that we call God Father because of Jesus, because of who Jesus is and because of what He's done for us on the cross and what He's continuing to do in us through His Holy Spirit as He blesses us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, what does that mean for us? to confess God as Father. What's the significance of that for us? Well, gratefully, the Apostle Peter's words here in chapter 1, our catechism as well, they're very clear, they're very practical in answering that question. Uh, What does that mean? Why do we call Him Father? And these standards can help us confess four truths that help guide our life, our life of salvation. They're truths that give us tremendous comfort, 
because they come from our only comfort in life and death, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so this morning we're going to focus on these four truths, uh, highlighting what we mean, what Scripture calls us to confess when we say that He is our Father. Four things this morning. We, 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 we confess that because of Christ, our God, our Father, first, is our Creator. Secondly, God, our Father, upholds and rules all things. Third, God, our Father, provides for our needs. And then finally, God, our Father, turns everything to our good. Well, the first truth that our catechism and, and Scripture identifies here is that the eternal God, out of nothing, created heaven and earth and everything in them. That's the first fundamental article of our Christian faith, that God is our Creator, and as our Creator, He is our Father. We were trying to teach Scotland a little bit of the catechism, uh, and so we have a tiny little condensed children's catechism, and the first question, appropriately so, in that little catechism is, who made you? And we ask Scotland that question about every day. Once in a while, she'll go, God. And as uh, parents, that, that fills us with such joy because that is such a fundamental truth that we need to teach our children at, at, at the earliest age possible. That their identity, their reality is rooted in God who gave them life. When we get that wrong, everything else falls after it. And we're seeing that in our society. And we're seeing it in the church as well. And so even people in the church are becoming infatuated with the theories of men rather than listening to the eternal, unchanging Word of God. We hear Christians, professing Christians, say all the time, Father God, Father God. And yet they have rejected God's revelation of Himself as the sole designer and creator of the universe, and they've replaced God's revelation of Himself with a type of science that's motivated by secular, unbelieving assumptions. And they love to confess God as their Father, but they would do away with Him as the sole creator of all things. But when we lose God the Father as our Creator, we lose Him as our Father. If we deny that He is the Creator who made all things out of nothing, then we deny the Father who through Jesus His Son is not just our Creator, but He is our Re-Creator, our Savior. That's the obvious conclusion from what Peter says here in verse 3. He, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. As it were, made over again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. How can God make us over again? He can do that because He created us first. How could He bring about Christ's rebirth, His resurrection, His rising from the dead? Because God is the source of all created life, and He can do with life and all that He has made as He sees fit, as He pleases by the mere power of His Word. 
And that's what we observe at the very beginning of Scripture. That's where the Bible begins. God spoke. He uttered His voice. And the heavens and the earth were created. Space and time and matter and history. The entire world came into being by the simple Word of God. And Peter says, that same Word of God lives and it abides forever. It is continuing actively in the world. It's that creating and recreating Word of the good news of the gospel that you once heard and now believe because of the Spirit's work in your life. That Word has become a reality in your life through the saving work of Jesus Christ who was sent to earth by your Creator and your Redeemer to rescue you from sin. That's what Peter says here uh, towards the end of this chapter. He says, you've been born again. You've been recreated, as it were. You were spiritually dead but brought back to life. You were born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding Word of God. And that Word of God has been preached to you. Because confessing God is our Creator is essential to knowing Him as our Father, for He is our Creator and Father for the sake of Jesus Christ. But we see something else. There's another truth we confess about God our Father, and that is that we confess that, that He doesn't just create us and then uh, leave us to go off on our own. He doesn't just wind us up like a divine watchmaker and then let us run out. He upholds as with His hand. He rules by His power and might all things by His eternal counsel and providence. And practically what that means for us is there, there are no accidents. Our lives are not the result of blind luck or fickle fate or random chance or some idea of karma. God's Word is clear. God accomplishes all things according to the counsel of His will. Proverbs 16 says, human beings may make plans, but God is the one who dispenses His sovereign will. And it's precisely because God rules and upholds all things that we can count upon Him as a heavenly Father. It's because He rules and upholds all things that we can, we can count on Him to keep us in our salvation. It's our ruling Father who planned and, and guided and fulfilled the whole event of our salvation, who did so because of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus who keeps us and preserves us, who appointed the prophets to preach the good news and the apostles to preach the good news for our benefit, who's decided the time for Christ's return. He has from beginning to end accomplished our salvation and keeps us in it. That's what Peter is, is rejoicing in here. Uh, in his epistle here. He, he says in verse 3 and following, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to an inheritance, a salvation inheritance that He is keeping for us, Peter says. It's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We can put our trust, our confidence in our heavenly Father that He will keep our inheritance securely, safely for us, and He's guarding us from the evil one until the day when we obtain that inheritance completely. He goes on later in, in verse 10. How was it that we came even to know this glorious salvation through the preserving love and care of our heavenly Father? Concerning this salvation, he says, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. They had been appointed by God for your sake, for the sake of, of the saints. They weren't serving themselves, but you and the things that have been now been announced through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which the angels long to look. The prophets, the teachers, the apostles were all appointed by God by His gracious providence so that the gospel would be proclaimed to you in this time and place. And God, by His Spirit, continues to guard us and nourish us by that good, that good word, that gospel, so that we might persevere in the faith until the very end. The God who rules and upholds the whole earth, who upholds the universe, who rules human history, is your Father because of Christ, who is working all things together for your salvation. What a wonderful truth that is, and, and yet, how often we resist and we doubt God the Father's will for us. Often we fight God at every turn of the road. We object to what He does, to what He commands of us. We are convinced that God hasn't actually provided what's best for us. We sometimes wish we could manipulate God the Father and try to change His will by our, by our prayers or our decisions. We might confess that God is in control, that He has sovereignty over all things. We say that God is in control, but then we insist that we are too young to die that we have too many things yet to enjoy in life, that we're too healthy to become seriously sick, we're too smart, too alert to get into a serious accident. And so God the Father and His will for us will just have to wait. But then whom is governing whom? Do you believe that God the Father controls your life? that He rules it all from beginning to end, that He has appointed your time to live, your time to know trials, your time to die? Do you believe that God the Father, because of Jesus His Son, is working all things together for your salvation? Peter says, it's your heavenly Father who is guarding your salvation by His power, He's preserving your faith. Do you know that comfort? Do you know that assurance? Is that your confession? That your God and Father rules all things 
for your good. We see third that God the Father provides for our needs. He loves us so much. He provides for us so much, the catechism says, that I do not doubt that He will provide whatever I need for body and soul. It's a very personal, very intimate confession. We don't simply confess that, that God knows what the world needs in general. He has a general idea of, of what is, is good for most people most of the time. No, we confess very intimately, God, my Father, knows what I need for body and soul. God wants you to know that truth. He wants you to know as His children, to acknowledge that apart from His blessing upon every aspect of your lives, that everything you strive for and desire for is in vain. He wants us to reorganize our lives around His will for us in Christ, seeking God, not just for the things of our spirits, but our bodies as well. That's what the Catechism says here. We depend upon God for the needs of body and soul. Sometimes we, we fail to, to understand that as we should. We, we think that, that God provides for the invisible realities of our life, the spiritual things, and the rest of it, we need to make up ourselves. It's up to us. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our catechism tells us that because God is our Father through Jesus Christ, He is the recreator of our souls and our bodies. Our bodies matter to Him. He's Father of all. He rules through our Lord Jesus Christ, and He rules our physical, material needs and, and, and experiences as well. He needs to be Lord of your business, of your children, of your money, your possessions, your education, all of it. He is your merciful Father who desires to provide for all that you need, body and soul. And in so doing, finally, we, we read that God our Father turns all things to our good. That's the final truth about God outlined in our catechism here and taught in Peter's letter. God will turn to my profit or good whatever adversity or evil He sends me in this veil of tears. This is a remarkable confession. The catechism does not shy away from declaring what Scripture teaches, that God the Father sends His children adversity. He sends bad things into our lives for a purpose. That's an offensive idea to our world and even some in the church. God is loving. No, why could, how could He send us anything but good? But consider what Peter says in verse 6 here, chapter 1. He says, though for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. How did those trials get there? By accident? No, God sent them. Why? Peter says, so that the tested genuineness of our faith, 
more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's a purpose for those trials. And as the outcome of your faith, Peter says, you obtain the salvation of your souls. God our Father is a disciplining Father who has a purpose in our life, and and He wants to purify us to a level of purity even greater than that of precious gold because we are precious to Him and to His Son, Jesus. He wants to conform us to the image of His Son. And so He turns all things, even the adversity, even the trial, even the tears, because He wants us to conform to His will. Is that how you see it? When sickness and trial come into your life, do you see them as as a detour from the plan of God for you? Do you you see them as, uh, as, as an accident, as a slip up in God's plan? Or when trials and sickness and death and difficulty come, do you see them as the hand of your Father in heaven? Hebrews 12, 6 teaches us that the Lord disciplines His sons and daughters because He loves them. Trials come to prove that faith is genuine. Trials come to send us into the arms of our heavenly Father to assure us of His love, of His commitment that He's going to finish His work in us through the best means possible. Trials come to assure us that God takes care of us even in the face of pain and suffering and even death. He's able to do this because He's Almighty God. He's willing to do it because He is your heavenly Father. And so I leave you with these questions this morning. Do you know this Father in Jesus Christ? Can you confess, God is my Father for Jesus' sake? He sent His Son to suffer and die to cleanse me from sin and to bring me to the Father, and now He is glorified and interceding for me before the Father. And He's promised that I shall be like Him because of His Spirit's work in me. Is that your confession? Then put your hope and your faith in Christ and in His Word, the Word which is living and abiding, the good news that was preached to you today, that God is your creating and ruling and providing Father who for the sake of Jesus Christ is working all things together for your good, for your salvation. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious God, we're so grateful for this first article of our faith, that you are our creating and preserving and ruling God, that you have given us such a tremendous gift Revealing yourself not as a a dictator of heaven, 
a God to whom we cannot go, a God who is unapproachable, but a God who through Jesus Christ, by faith, is our Father, God who loves us in Christ, a God who desires our best and will accomplish what is best for us, even if that should mean bringing us through trial and difficulty. Father, we pray that we would truly know You as You've revealed Yourself in this way throughout Your Word, that we would know the comfort of Your tender care for us and Your sovereign purposes in our life. We pray that we would live lives of holiness and obedience to call on You as a Father who who judges uh, impartially and according to Your will. Lord, give us comfort now as we go into the world this week to serve others, to give ourselves to You. We pray that we would do so in the strength of Your Holy Spirit, knowing the comfort that we are Your children, sons and daughters of God, for the sake of Jesus Christ. In His name we pray. Amen.